As you're listening to this episode, let us know if you have any questions for our guest. If so, please send us a message to team at onehaas.org or join our discussion board using our Clever podcast app. You can download the app at clever.fm. Hello and welcome back to the One Haas Podcast, The Crossroads Series, where we discuss the critical moments that shape the lives and careers of Haas alumni. I'm your host, Sophie Hoyt, and as I'm sure you all know, we are right in the middle of Pride Month. This is the month that as a collective, we set aside space to amplify and affirm the LGBTQIA experience and history. Today, we'll be talking to Ali Foote. Her pronouns are she, her, hers, and she's the director of digital product strategy at Nike. But that's only half of it. My gay job or my queer career, the new term, is as a, a co-chair of our Pride Network. And we're, we're thinking through for that you know, ERG or employee resource group, how do we show up for our queer employees across the company and allies and thinking about how do we kind of shape the culture, help develop those people, and then how do we engage in the community? That's been a really amazing part of my, my career at Nike and actually before as well. And even in that before time, Allie's past tracks pretty seamlessly onto her life now. She's even a self-professed jock. Well, when I was a little kid, I was convinced that I was going to be an Olympic soccer player. And I told my parents that they had to do everything that they could to make sure that that happened. So I remember when I quit soccer and I was 14, my mom sat me down and had a serious conversation to remind me of that goal. But we, we worked through it. After she cut ties with soccer, Allie rebounded with basketball. It was pretty serious, too. And I made the decision um, my senior year of high school to choose the, the school over sports. Um, so I went to a small uh, liberal arts college, Claremont McKenna, um, outside of L.A. And I intended to play basketball, but got there and decided there was just so much else that I wanted to focus on. But I continued to play intramurals. Uh, it was super fun because I was a three-point shooter. And so whenever I played in the co-ed intramurals and played with the guys, um, you know, great double standard, but all my points come to those double. And so I, I would score six pointers, which is pretty entertaining. And through all these transitions from sport to sport and from high school to college, there was one consistent fixture, Nike. In the summer before college, Allie got a part-time sales associate job at Nike Town Portland. Which, I mean, if I'm being honest, it was really because I just loved the product and wanted to work there and get the discount. And I think I pretty much spent everything that I made at Nike in the Nike employee store. And then when I went to college, uh, I found the closest Nike store, which was like 30 minutes away to go work at. But yeah, I went there because I just, I loved the product and I just wanted to be around it. So it's kind of a full circle to be at Nike today. And while the job didn't last, because it's hard balancing work with being a full-time student, she clearly never lost her love of the products. But it was time for her to tackle what I'd like to call the grown-up starter pack. It's a stage every college student goes through, trying to figure out what job will get you one step closer to being the adult of your dreams. So I decided maybe I should try the accounting path. And I had a professor who I was in his office one day as my accounting professor, who's fabulous. And he was like, you should go to this event tonight. Like PricewaterhouseCooper will, will be there. And it's, um, you know, their resume drop is is tomorrow night, but you should go to just see if you like them. And I went and I had dinner with a couple of partners and people on the on the team in LA and I just loved them and so I think 
accounting is an amazing way to learn business, but I also just really felt like I was at home and loved the people that I was going to get to work with. And the job sounds amazing. Allie worked in the audit practice for four years. The clients were cool, which made the work cool, something I never knew was possible with accounting. But the more variation in the clients, the more Allie got to learn about business. And so it was pretty cool because it was an amazing way to learn so many different types of businesses. Because in order to, you know, attest or say that you agree with something on someone's financials, you need to understand their business. And after four years in audit, she transitioned over to consulting, still within PwC. I was bouncing around different areas of the the consulting practice at PwC, which is really awesome to try to figure out if I, you know, was going to find my my fit. And so I think it it took me a while to think about business school as something I could do. Um, I was very much on a path that was outlined. You know, there's a, a very clear path um, in these firms, which is amazing, where I, I can see ahead, like, hey, if I really want to do this and go for it, I could, you know, be a partner one day. And so it was kind of scary to jump off of that, to think about doing something different. Having been there, you know, I was there almost nine years. So, you know, all my, my entire career at that point, except for my short stint at Nike. And so, you know, I think that I needed to to take a little space um, to really think about what I wanted to be doing. And honestly, when I decided to go to business school, I had still no clue what I wanted to be when I grew up. I just knew that I wanted to go and learn more and continue to round out business skills so that I could think about what I wanted to do next, whether that was staying at PwC or trying to find something new. And I knew that business school would be a great way to, to do that reflection and then figure out ultimately where I wanted to go. So Allie set off to figure it all out by way of doing. As we talked, I noticed that Allie is the kind of person who is committed to all of her decisions and lives by her gut instincts. I decided that I wanted to do an executive program, and it ultimately came down to Haas and another executive program. But I I went and I did the, the class visits, and when I visited Haas, I was just in love with it. The fact that the students were so diverse in just their background and also their careers. I felt like I would learn a lot there um, and get exposure to um, to new, you know, people, careers, um, ideas. When I actually wrapped up my visit there, um, I called my mom and was like, I want to go here. Like, do I have to go to the other visit? She was like, yes, you do. And she's like, but you did this um, when you were looking at undergraduate schools too. So I had like a back-to-back visit, uh, at Claremont McKenna and another college that's, that's close by. And I called my mom when I was on the way to the other school being like, I already know I want to go to CMC. Do I have to go do this visit? And the other thing was everyone was so like excited to meet me and wanted to tell me how amazing the school was. And so, yeah, just, it made it feel like home. Like I said, she's committed to her instincts. I don't know if it's like me being competitive or me just being very like driven. And if I know what I want, I'm going to go after it um, and try to get it. But that's just been how I've been since I was a kid. But once I know and have it in my gut, I'm, I'm pretty clear that that's the direction that I want to go. And I'll do, you know, most things within my power to make that happen. That feels pretty accurate with how my, my career has gone, what I've done to just think about what do I enjoy in my job, right? Where do I want to be going next? Um, what kind of company that might be? So, you know, am I really purpose-driven, which is something that I, I totally am? Um, and really just do that, that self-reflection. The Haas executive program was on a 19-month track. And for the first eight months, Allie wasn't living in the Bay Area. 
Portland was her home base, then Seattle for Monday through Wednesday for work, and then to Berkeley through Saturday, then back to Portland on Sunday, and on Monday it started all over again. It just wasn't sustainable. So at the eight-month mark, she moved to the Bay Area. It seemed like the right move for the long term. I moved down to the Bay, and then I did all that soul-searching, and then realized that Nike was really where I wanted to be. (laughs) So nine months later, I moved back to Portland. And everyone was like, you just left. I even got a tattoo, like an ode to Portland, thinking I wouldn't be back for a while. <laughs> and uh, so now I just call it my my San Francisco sabbatical. So what did soul searching actually look like? Well, lots of conversations with lots of people and career consultations. She just kept reaching out to people, lots of host people, and asking questions. And I was honestly super impressed with the response that I got. Um, almost every person said yes, and pretty quickly. So I, I had a whole list of who I was meeting with and what I learned and, um, you know, who else they think I should chat with or other areas they thought I should explore, given my background. Um, so I found those conversations to help me kind of narrow in and target, hear from different people and say like, that's great. That sounds like a great company for you, but that's not for me. <laughs> or, oh, that role sounds great, but that's not me. Or, ooh, this sounds good. I like this. What other role? Um, you know, does this kind of work. Uh, and so that's that's really what it came down to. And throughout the program, Allie was still full-time at PwC. But at the start of her final term at Haas, and after nine years with the company, she decided it was time to leave. I can say nothing but positive things about the firm and the people that I worked with and the partners I worked with. And when I ultimately made the decision to leave, like they were all all supportive. But yeah, I, I really can't say enough positive things because they really did support me. And ultimately, I could tell that they all had my, my best interest in mind, which was pretty amazing. And so she reached this turning point, And Allie kept the momentum from her soul-searching going, asking questions and making connections, even when she was teaching. While at Haas, Allie was the TA for the turnarounds class with Professor Goodson. And there was a student in the class who worked at Nike. They became friendly. And when she applied to Nike, Allie let her know. And I think she, you know, sent a note to um, HR recruiting just to say, like, hey, just flagging the resume so that hopefully someone read it. (laughs) And like a week or two later, I had a a phone screen. Allie explained to me that Nike does talent days that center around certain functions within the company. In her case, that would be for strategy. So they bring in various recruits and interview them for multiple positions that are available. There are a couple different teams that I was talking with and ultimately decided to take the role within digital strategy the senior manager. At this point, she had worked at PwC for nine years and was about to have an MBA. So coming in as a manager felt like a lateral move. I talked to a lot of friends about it, and they just told me, if this is something that you're interested in and want to learn and grow, like I would take, they're like, take that like any day. And that was, I think, good advice and something I probably would have told a friend as well. <laughs> and so ultimately, you know, made that, that call and uh, came over with the digital strategy team at the time. An incredible team, she tells me. And about a year later, she got promoted to director and was able to stay on with the group. And a cool part of my job is I, you know, part of it is the more strategic work that you think about, right? When you think of a strategy function and what we call writing the future. And then there's another piece that's, you know, more like chief of staff. And so I've been able to kind of act as the chief of staff to two different heads of digital product for Nike and learn their different style and see their leadership and work with their leadership teams and watch as that, that functions evolved over time, which has been really cool and really powerful. 
Do you think that if you hadn't just come out of a learning environment being, you know, a business school program, having gone through that process, it, it kind of primed you to be in a position where you were comfortable learning in a professional space? Yeah. And I think the decision was really like, do I make a lateral move? Am I comfortable with that? And I think that being in the Haas environment and where it is just so focused on learning and student always that I, I did make that decision because I knew that I would come in and be able to learn a lot more. I like, I laugh because I don't, don't know uh, if I would call myself a digital product expert when I came into <laughs> to Nike. And now I say, uh, you know, I know enough to be dangerous. And it's it's <laughs> been really cool to just be able to like, completely like come in and learn a whole new, you know, side of business. And I, you know, if I look at my career path, starting an audit, right, I used my skills in audit and understanding of, you know, tech and entertainment industry to then say, I think I can bring value to the consulting practice at PwC. Um, and I made a move into the finance effectiveness space, which is thinking about like processes and finance orgs, et cetera. Uh, and I was able to kind of leverage those skills to come in and then be able to learn the the consulting skill set, right, based on that. And then in my time at PwC, was able to continue to use that, you know, basis and that grounding in the consulting skill set to then bounce around to different areas within the um, consulting practice. And so I feel like coming to Nike, I was able to use that like framework thinking and ability to come in and just like dive in and try to learn a new business pretty quickly um, and be able to make recommendations on it, um, was able to use that to then make the transition into Nike. So it's had like common themes I've tried to pull over to each gig, but make sure that I have something that I feel really strongly in and then something that I'm going to learn by jumping into the new gig. And I think that's pretty fearless to walk away from almost a decade with a company to try something new, to walk into a job and be willing to learn and knowing that you can learn because you have the experience you have. And while digital strategy isn't new, in the lifetime of Nike, it kind of is. Nike, along with many other retailers, right, and and companies that started out as as more brick and mortar, um, is continuing to evolve how we think about digital. And at that Mm -hmm. time, you know, it was, we had stood up a digital products organization, which was only a few years old. Uh, and so it was, it was a really cool opportunity to be able to jump in and help continue to drive that um, and drive mm-hmm. that evolution where we're going. I mean, now, three years later, it's obviously become kind of the forefront of our, our strategy. Um, but coming in, I'd say it's, I've gotten to see a really cool evolution um, over the last few years of just how we operate and how we interact with the rest of the company and um, how we leverage our platforms to connect to consumers. So now it's not just about the clothing or the shoes or the sponsorships. It's about creating an online space for the consumer. In terms of the, the revenue commerce side of things, where our goal is to be 50% digital in coming years. So, you know, you have that. But along with that, that doesn't just mean that transactions are going to get us there. And that's all we can do, right? We, we continue um, to want to serve our consumers, you know, one-to-one at scale. If you think about the, the origins of Nike, right, it was selling shoes out of a van, you know, at, at running events and, and talking to the consumers, what they need and what they, they like. And so I think we've gone through this kind of evolution of a company where, where we're trying to come back to that. Our, our mission is to bring inspiration, innovation to every athlete in the world. And that athlete is, is asterisk. And it says, you know, if, if you have a body, you are an athlete. And so we're really trying to think about how do we leverage all those different mediums um, to reach all of our consumers um, regardless of where they are on 
kind of in their athletic or movement journey. Um, but it's very true. It's becoming table stakes across the industry to have something that's that's more engaging and that a consumer wants to engage with more than just the couple times a year that they go on to buy shoes, right? And we want to keep them because we want to continue to have these loyal consumers. Um, and so, you know, Nike Run Club is um, is an amazing way um, that we can, you know, provide something for our consumers to help them reach their goals. And, you know, also then be able to say, hey, we know you, we know you're running, you know, this is, this could be a good product for you, but it's really not focused on that. It's really just about, it's about empowering um, all of our athletes and consumers. That's a big set of values to walk into. And it's a lot to uphold, but Allie was ready to problem solve, to ask questions, to bring herself fully to the job. I relied on my, my strengths, which I think is, you know, curiosity, strategic thinking, being able to see kind of a, a broader picture, um, as well as relationship building, um, to just come in and, and learn as much as possible. And I've, I've continued throughout my time to seek various opportunities to, you know, enhance my, my education understanding. You're given a problem, you got to like think through a framework and how you're going to solve it. And so I think being able to just kind of bring that like rigor to things that I was doing um, was super helpful when I first was kind of getting in and, and getting going. Um, and even if I, you know, brought a plan and an idea of how I wanted to get after something and I brought it to my manager and they're like, oh, no, this is completely wrong. Let's like regroup. Um, it at least allowed them to like react to something and see how I was thinking through it um, to help guide me in the right direction. So what does Allie actually do? I'll let her explain. In strategy at Nike, I think we have it laid out pretty clearly in the sense we say that things fall into kind of three buckets. So one being that chief of staff work. We have some central teams throughout the company, but then we have a lot of strategists that are embedded and working with, with various leaders and leadership teams. Um, and then we have the quarterback, the offense. It's Nike. We have a lot of sports analogies. You know, so quarterback, the offense, which is thinking through like our uh, business reviews, right? Like um, kind of a look back on on the previous period and how we did and how we, we measured up to our goals. And then that kind of final bucket is the, the quote unquote, right, the future. And that's, again, those those more you know, standard strategy projects you might think of. Um, so that's thinking about what's our, our three years out for our digital product portfolio. What do we want that to look like, right? Or um, in this particular space, uh, how do we need to think about this for, for digital product, whether it's, you know, size and fit or activity or whatever it might be, is being able to jump in and, and work on those different projects and deliverables. So that's her day job. But let's not forget about her gay job. She's also the co-chair of Nike's Pride Network, supporting and engaging the LGBTQIA community within and beyond Nike. But how did Allie learn to weave her personal life into her professional life? The summer between my junior and senior year of college, um, at the time that I was interning at PwC. And so I actually came out at PwC before like some of my family and friends Sorry, mom and dad. It was literally just like circumstantial <laughs> um, and the timing <laughs> and the reaction that I got there and just the the love and acceptance was something I felt so fortunate to receive. I came out and two weeks later, like our head of, you know, DNI for the LA office at the time had set up a lunch for myself and one other intern who had advices in the community and like six different partners from PwC who all identified as LGBT and were out. And so that was just like such an amazing opportunity to get to spend that time with them and see that, 
was not only tolerated, but accepted and celebrated as well. That introduction to DNI stuck with Allie. And a year later, when Allie joined PwC full-time, there was an opening in the LGBTQIA group now called Shine. It was a leadership position, chief of staff for the group. So I got to help lead our team in the LA AIDS walk for three years. You know, we had started, we originally, I think, had like, maybe have like 30 people that would show up and raise, you know, under 10, 10 grand. I'm a planner. So I came in with a very structured plan and we were able to, you know, by the last couple of years, we were, we had a hundred walkers in it. We're raising, you know, over 30 grand a year, which is really amazing. And then that allowed me to, to continue on with that, that group. When Allie moved back to Portland in 2014, she transitioned into the advisory practice at PwC. And she had a client in Seattle and spent a lot of time working out of the Seattle office. Eventually, they asked if she'd want to lead the Seattle Diversity Network, overseeing the network and its partnership with HR. And I was like, well, that sounds great, but I live in Portland, so I'll do it if we can make it the Pacific Northwest Diversity Network. And we can, you know, kick things off in Portland and make sure we have um, networks and support for that team. So she scheduled a meeting with the head of the Portland office. She didn't even know him. But I walked in and I was like, we don't have an LGBT group. We don't have like these things formalized. I think they had had them and then they kind of like faded as I think ERGs can, you know, ebb and flow um, in terms of participation. But I walked in and I said that and I was like, we need this. He's like, yes. He's like, I agree. And you know, his credit, he's a identifies as a straight, white, you know, cisgender man. And was just like, I, he's like, yeah, he's like, Yes, like teach us, like let's let's do it. That step, pointing out something that's missing, is the first step to change. Having a plan to fix it is the second. And Allie was able to follow through. I was able to, with the the help of that whole partner group um, in Portland, was able to help stand up four different ERGs within that team and then was able to bring everyone kind of under one umbrella, the Pacific Northwest Diversity Network, which is really cool, and also helped kind of with the collaboration between the two offices. And just like that, she was blending her work experience with her lived experience. I was able to jump in and actually do a DNI consulting project for, um, you know, a Fortune 50 company, which is really amazing and helping them think through uh, how do they um, you know, how do you staff the various teams? Like, where's all the funding going? It was kind of an assessment as well as like the board had just given them a bunch of funding for DNI programming. And so helping them think through like, how was that used? Was it effective? I think like benchmarking and showing impact in the diversity, equity, inclusion space is very difficult. And so it was helping them kind of get a handle on what they had, they had done and how that was impacting their employees and, and consumer base. And once she came to Nike, she wasn't ready to give up that work. But she needed to take a beat, learn the lay of the land, find her place there. And it didn't take long. About six months in, she applied to join the Pride leadership team. And I, it just felt like the right time. I mean, if you look at the last year, like I've obviously been in this space for a while. <laughs> and so doing this for, you know, since 20, 2009, 10. And it's just, it's like a time I've never seen in this space and for, you know, the energy around diversity, equity, and inclusion and, you know, companies, you know, I think Nike's always done a pretty good job, but I think like there's just a new focus and excitement and energy around it. And so I decided like, yep, this is the time that I want to jump into this space and really, you know, see what I can contribute um, to this team at a greater level. And it's been, I mean, it's only been a month, I think, um, but it's been so rewarding to be 
in this position. I mean, my, our pride leadership team is phenomenal and we have amazing support from the company. I think some people might feel like, well, why do we have to talk about these things? But I'd really like to hear in your own words, why you feel like having those spaces, having those voices represented in uh, the actual office space is so important for minority groups and experiences. I think about this also from the lens of those that may have, you know, quote unquote privilege in terms of, you know, if they're not in part of the queer community, which I, I see being a part of as a privilege. Um, but I think that a lot of my cisgender heterosexual counterparts have probably never had to play like the pronoun game, right? Where you don't really want to come out or say, you know, if I say like, oh, my girlfriend, sometimes they're like, oh, it's just a friend. I had a client that <laughs> asked if I had a boyfriend that was, was early on in my career. She's like, do you have a boyfriend? I was like, nope. And she's like, what? No. And I was like, no, like, I don't like, she's like, are, you, are you doing something? I was like, yeah. She's like, but no boyfriend. I was like, no. And she's like, oh, I want to set you up with someone. Like, and like goes on and tell me all about this guy. And it like really threw me off. And I think so many people are spending so much energy and time and brain space in the workplace, hiding pieces of themselves. Um, and it just doesn't make for honestly productive or happy employee. Um, and I think that being able to, you know, bring your authentic self to work is so critical for both your own mental health and for your team. You know, I, there's like so much research out there that shows that diverse teams come up with the best solutions. And I say like, the, I totally agree, but I think it's also when those diverse teams can bring fully themselves to the table, right? Cause if everyone's just trying to like code switch and be the same, you're going to come up with just some very generic um, solutions and not a lot of innovation. But yeah, I think for me, I've been so lucky that I've always felt like I could show up authentically as myself. I try to do that because I've just heard so many, so many stories and so many people that have not been able to do that or have that opportunity and, um, or who feel scared. And so I think that allowing people to kind of come out of their shells and show them that, um, you know, it's accepted and it's okay. My goal is to show up who I am at work the same way I am outside of work. And I found at Nike, it's been a very comfortable place to be exactly who I am and to show, you know, all pieces of me and kind of whatever that, that is. If it's who I'm dating, if it's, you know, things around mental health, if it's, you know, work styles, if it's talking to them about my really cute pandemic puppy, like I want to be able to just share that and talk about that. And if I have a partner talking about that, just like someone else might be able to talk about, you know, what they did with their family or their kids over the weekend. Like I want to be able to have that opportunity as well so that I can show up and people can know me and we can have a better work, work relationship. Right. And thank you for, um, for so concisely, you know, being able to outline like that. It's not just about like company policy and, you know, create, it's about creating an environment where every employee has the right to, um, live their lives, be casual about their lives, um, you know, talk about their family and who they, who they share their life with and what, um, that means without there being that like fear of either retaliation or ostracization. So with that being said, I'm curious, do you have any organizations that you'd like to shout out or, um, that Nike is partnering with in support of the LGBTQIA community? Nike is phenomenal in my opinion of giving back to communities. We have a whole team that's, that's focused on that and thinking about, um, how do we give back locally? 
um, as well as, you know, regionally to the communities that kind of represent our various employee resource groups. So for Pride, you know, we have a number of different partnerships um, and those that we we give to and, and work with, um, you know, it's, it's across like Athlete Ally, Listen, you know, Out Foundation, there's, there's various regional regional teams as well. I think that, you know, one I'm excited about, I really love, you know, gender cool, which is we think about right now, all the bills that are uh, targeting trans kids in sports, which I feel like is a fundamental human right to participate in sport. Um, it was such an important part of my upbringing that I don't want to see any kid left out just because of fears. Uh, you know, gender cool is a really amazing organization that's focused on highlighting transgender um, non-binary kids where the most like unremarkable aspect of them is that they are, you know, trans or non-binary. So like you're hearing these kids and I, you know, they're like in med school, like at these young ages or they're phenomenal singers or they want to be president or whatever it might be and highlighting the kids for just like being these amazing, you know, kids and teens rather than like focus on that part of it and celebrating them for who they are. And one of Allie's personal favorites is the Trevor Project. You might remember them from their It Gets Better campaign. You know, I think for, for myself, um, growing up, coming out since, like I've always had, uh, you know, my own conversations and thoughts around like mental health and what that means to me. And so it's really important to me that, you know, if there's a space for kids that are across um, across the country to go if they need that support. And I think especially right now when everyone's, everything's shut down, I think that it's more important than ever to have those resources for those that are feeling really isolated. That's just a personal one that I, I care a lot about. I I also served on the steering committee for uh, in Oregon and Southwest Washington for the human rights campaign. And so I'm obviously always, always following them as well as Basic Rights Oregon. We love basic rights, just like as a concept. Right? Basic I know, rights. I'm into it. I love them. Yeah. <laughs> I love your clear name. <laughs> yeah, right? I know. Yeah, some of the other ones are like, ah, what does that quite mean? On the nose. Yeah. It is a basic yeah. right to be treated like a yeah. human being. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I think it's always important that when we have the opportunity to discuss how do we make a more uh, welcoming work environment, like what are some basic steps that for anyone who may be listening who wants to do better, wants to make their work environment a better place. Um, do you have any advice on how to get the ball rolling and how to keep those committees going in an effective way? Yeah. So I'll head on the first, the just the couple, like, I say easy, but quote unquote easier, low hanging fruit that I see, um, which the first one is the use of pronouns. I, you know, my Zoom profile in my email, on my LinkedIn, I have my pronouns there. That indicates to those, you know, within the community that like I am a safe space and person and that I see them and accept them. And it also allows other people to then offer what their pronouns are if they are comfortable because it's not something we can assume. I usually you know, introduce myself. I say I'm Ali Food. I use she, her pronouns. And I try to go first also because then it forces the rest of the the group to then introduce themselves with their pronouns. Good trick. <laughs> um and then the other thing I think is, just as we were thinking about safe spaces for employees, you know, we've had a lot of, there's obviously a lot of discussion right now on just the, the trans community and how do we, we support that community. We are going to see more and more people that are out and proud and living their true authentic selves. And they need a safe space to go to the bathroom. And a lot of people now, like, I hear stories of people where they have to, like, hold it all day or they have to, like, leave their office and go around the corner where they can find a unisex bathroom. And so I think it's, 
you know, early, early things you can do. I know some companies are in, you know, buildings that they lease where they can't make structural changes at the moment. So, you know, putting up signs that just say like, Hey, you know, use the, the bathroom that most closely aligns with your gender identity, right. Or that aligns with that. And then, and then also making sure employees know where the option is for like a single stall restroom in terms of starting an employee resource group. For me, the way that I've found the most success is first getting support from leadership in the company. So, you know, for me that in Portland, that looked like walking into the head of the Portland you know, office and saying like, Hey, we don't have this. Like I want to make this, this is what I want to do. And when I, w- I when I went in, I, I basically had a business case for it, which is what I, I like outlined. This is why we should be doing this. It's, it helps to, for those that need to make the, the leap kind of back to that question, like, why should we do this? There is a business case behind it. And so being able to say like, Hey, this is going to make you more successful in your job if I'm able to do this. And then outlining a plan and having very clear asks and like requests for that leadership to be involved. So whether that's like, I want you to come to like all of our events, or I want, you know, someone that's on this leadership team to be kind of our executive sponsor, right. And attending our meetings. But I do think that having a little bit of formalized structure around kind of who's leading this, right. Like how long do you stay in that? that position, like do you, if it's a larger company, like do you have applications to get involved? What does that look like? And then I think having, you know, clear goals from the start so that you then like in the first year, like maybe you're saying, Hey, I want to have this many events. Like I want to, you know, focus on, we want to focus on education. We want to talk about gender, whatever it might be. We want to have like a fun event, something like that. And then at the end of the year, being able to come back to that leadership team and saying like, Hey, this is what we set out to do. We cross all this off again, reminder, this is the business case. This is what we want to do next year. And so continue to treat it like it's a, almost like a work, it's a work project, right? And treat it in the same way as they would see anything else and be able to say like, yes, I'm in great. Keep going. Making sure that, you know, one of the asks that's to leadership is for those that are involved in this, making sure it's not seen as like a side project, but this should be seen as a, a work project. So it's making it clear to like the leadership teams that we need to be supporting these employees that are doing this and doing this work so that it's not seen as a burden on them. So as a recap, lead with your pronouns. We all know what they say about assuming. Create accessible bathrooms. If you want to see change, have a plan for change. Make your requests clear and keep leadership involved. Be able to show your work. And remember, this work takes work. So treat it like part of your job because it is. And after hearing such amazing advice that we should all carry with us as we move forward, I wanted to know what advice Allie might give to herself as an intern all those years ago. Trust the process. So I have, I have trust tattooed on my arm. And that is just kind of what I was talking about of like, just trust the process that, you know, what you're going through is going to shape you and um, make you better human and employee and friend and, you know, coworker. And I think also just, yeah, be you, show up authentically and, and don't be afraid to let what you're passionate about shine and follow those things and follow your gut. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the One Hoss Podcast, The Crossroads Series. And a special thanks to Allie Foote for sharing her story with me. If you want to check out any of the charities that we discussed in today's episode, those will be linked in the show notes below. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to subscribe to One Hoss wherever you get your podcasts and rate and review us on iTunes. 
You can also check out more of our content on our website at haas.fm, where you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley Haas podcasts. Until next time, go Bears!